following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Micah chapter 3, Leaders and Prophets Rebuked. Then I said, listen you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan and flesh for the pot. But then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them, because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace, if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore night will come over you without visions, and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces, because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, and the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. You build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill and mound overgrown with thickets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello, my name is Maeve Sherlock. I'm one of the curates at St Nick's Durham. And welcome to the latest in our sermon series on the book of Micah. Two weeks ago, Brandon gave us a great introduction to Micah. An introduction to Micah the man, a prophet as full of passion and conviction as any modern street preacher, raging against elites, angry at injustice, and also to the book of Micah, so full of power and symbolism, the poetry of the oppressed. He told us Micah's name means, who is like the Lord? And that question, what is God like, is one we're gonna come back to again today. Then last week, Philip Fleming brilliantly unpacked chapter two for us, highlighting the warnings against complacency, against coveting what we don't have, but also bringing out the promise of comfort that's there deep in Micah's message. So today we have Micah chapter three. You think you're gonna need your Bibles open for this one. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read Micah three, it was like a sort of stream of consciousness and rage, an outpouring of fury, seemingly firing like a machine gun in all directions, dive for cover. But as we look at it more closely, we'll see actually Micah's anger is quite precisely targeted It's less machine gun, more laser beam, focusing on a series of targets. The chapter three falls into three distinct parts, 
or oracles of judgment, as they're often called. Oracle one is verses one to four. And here, Micah's laser beam is trained on the leaders of Israel. And he starts by talking straight to them. Verse one, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? Now, justice was a big deal in ancient Israel. Mishpat or justice referred to the contents of the sacred law as set out in the book of Exodus. It also covered the judgments of the courts and it assumed that they judge cases fairly. Now, Israel's leaders shouldn't need telling. Frankly, one of their key roles was to sit and judge the people. But this was more than just being a, an ancient Israelite Judge Rinder or even Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Brenda Hale. I mean, yes, they needed to know the law and judge cases. But beyond that, Micah takes it as read that they should be people who embrace justice, to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And justice meant more even than the law. Justice was central to the covenant with God, which is at the heart of Israel's existence, its very identity. The scholar Philip Jensen explains it really well. Justice establishes the norms that are to guide the relations between members of the covenant community. In other words, they should protect the weak and innocent from being exploited by the strong and ruthless. And that justice, it's fundamental. It's part of Israel's DNA as a nation. It's fundamental to the whole way of life God set out for them. So these rulers, they should be embodying as well as administering justice. But Philip told us last week that in chapter two, Micah's rage was directed at the unscrupulous land barons, rich people who were stealing land in Jerusalem from people from whom it was their only means of survival. Now we pick up that story today because these people turn to the rulers seeking justice. So the leaders have the perfect opportunity to stand up for the poor and the oppressed. So do they? Well, let's see what Micah says to them in verse two. You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people, and the flesh from their bones. So that's a no, I think we can safely say. In fact, the oppressed came away empty handed because as we learn later, the judges were taking bribes from the rich. So instead of using their position to defend the vulnerable, they abused the law, they made money for themselves and left those poor people with no justice and no land, which means no food. But not only did they fail to do their job as judges properly, it's more than that. The scholar Bruce Wachter puts out, points out, they have also rejected the fundamental moral basis for their society, which in turn, he says, is a rejection of the God who stands behind Israel's law and who ensures it's obeyed. And that's serious. So serious that the oracle closes with Micah warning them that just as they ignored the cries of the poor, so in turn God will ignore their cries. Okay, let's pause here to remember our question, what is God like? Micah's making clear God is a God of justice whose vision for his people, for his creation, is a world where justice reigns, where the weak and the oppressed are protected from exploitation by the strong and the ruthless. Let's remember that. Okay, Oracle 2 runs from verse 5 to verse 8, and it's clear from the get-go where Micah's laser beam is targeted next. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, okay, as a prophet himself, 
Micah is outraged at the actions of false prophets. And that's starting, that the starting words, this is what the Lord says. That's probably Micah saying basically, unlike you dodgy prophets, what I say comes from God. I speak the truth. You lot, you'll say anything that helps your own position. They're leading people astray. Actually, scholars say that in Hebrew, that phrase implies more letting people wander without direction. Now remember, God gave Israel the law and the prophets so they'd know how to live. So if the prophets don't speak up, if they just let people wander aimlessly, the consequences are really serious. And Micah tells us why they're doing this. In verse 5, he says, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. In other words, they were prophesying for personal gain. Now, it's quite likely these were professional prophets. That was a thing. Their job was to help guide the direction of Israel. In fact, Micah was probably a professional prophet too, in contrast to someone like, say, Amos, who was a shepherd. So Micah's problem is probably not that they're taking money for being a prophet. The problem comes in if they let the money affect what they say. So if instead of speaking out clearly a message from God, they bend it to say what the rich and the powerful want to hear. And that's what Micah's accusing the false prophets of. They should have been pointing out the injustice and calling the rich and the powerful to repent, to return to the way of God. Instead, they're ignoring the abuse, and just promising peace, shalom. And peace wasn't just the absence of war. Jensen says that shalom was perhaps the Old Testament's richest word to describe the blessings of salvation. It encompassed all kinds of things, and good health, social harmony, a political security, economic flourishing. The false prophets were promising shalom, but he says, without its essential ethical and religious foundations. A shortcut, it's cheap grace. A true prophet like Micah would stand up for the weak and call the powerful back to the ways of God, even if it risked unpopularity or even danger. And so in verses six and seven, Micah warns them that because they've abused their prophetic gifts, they'll be taken away. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets. God will withdraw from them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. But as for me, says Micah, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord. Micah will stand up for the oppressed. Micah will proclaim justice. He won't promise fake peace. So that's Oracle 2. So what have we learned about God? Well, not surprisingly, God expects his prophets to pass on his truth, whatever the consequences for themselves. And crucially, that true peace rests on a foundation of justice. Finally, Oracle 3 is verses 9 to 12. And here Micah's laser beam reaches its final target, as well as the leaders taking bribes for wrong judgment and the prophets telling fortunes for money. He now accuses the priests of teaching for a price. Now, the, the job, one of the jobs of the priests was to teach the people what the law said about their ethical or religious duties. They also resolved disputes about anything to do with religious rituals. And Jensen explains how you might do this if you were a dodgy priest. Suppose the law said you have to sacrifice a certain kind of animal at a certain time in certain ways. 
Now, if paying a bribe to the priest meant you could get away with sacrificing an animal that wasn't very well, that wasn't um, worth much, that could be a worthwhile investment. But what a betrayal of trust from the priests. Even worse, Micah's accusing all three groups of justifying themselves theologically. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. In other words, they're assuming that because Israel are God's chosen people, nothing bad's going to happen. However much people behave badly, however much they betray the covenant, Micah says, this is a bad bet. Jerusalem will face the fate of Samaria. Its wonderful buildings, its mighty skyline will be reduced to rubble. So in summary, God chose his people Israel and formed a covenant with them. He gave them the law so they'd know what righteousness and justice looked like. He gave them priests and leaders to interpret and judge it and prophets through whom he would carry on speaking to his lovely, wonderful Israeli people. But all three groups, prophets, priests and leaders, have been corrupted. They're in it for themselves. The system of checks and balances has failed. And that undermines the whole fabric of Israelite society. And it amounts to a rejection of God himself. OK, you may be thinking, well, that's quite interesting, but what does it have to say to us today? Actually, quite a lot. Now, it's always risky to start drawing straight lines from any individual reading to our lives. We always need thorough study and debate on the meaning of texts. But, you know, at the same time, there are some themes in the Bible that are writ so large you can see them from outer space. And one of those is that our God is a God of justice who cares for the poor and the oppressed and calls on his people to do likewise. But that has implications for the ordering of society, now and then. Think of the rules in Leviticus on gleaning, the idea that when the Israelites harvested their land, they had to leave some of the crop behind for those with nothing, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, so they could eat as well. Or Jubilee. Leviticus 25 said that every 50 years there should be a Jubilee year when Hebrew slaves would be freed, debts forgiven and land returned to its original owners. Now we don't know how this operated in practice, but the aim was clearly to ensure everyone could afford to live and to stop wealth accumulating over time in the hands of a few people. So this leads us to reflect on the way our own society is ordered today. In fact, what better time to reflect on justice and judgment than during Lent in the middle of a pandemic? Last year, Graham Tomlin, the Bishop of Kensington, wrote an article about how apocalyptic it felt living in the time of COVID. And he reminded us that the day of judgment is the day on which all secrets will be revealed. The great book of judgment in the Bible is called Revelation. Judgment involves revelation, an uncovering of the true nature of things, he says, in the light of God's self-revelation in Jesus. Now, this pandemic has revealed some unpalatable truths about the way we've been living. The first one most of us noticed was the positive impact on air quality, on carbon emissions, when we stop consuming and travelling so much. What a stark reminder of the damage the way we normally live causes to our planet. Other things took longer to come to the surface. Professor Michael Marmot drew a really interesting comparison with a hurricane which hit Puerto Rico in 2017. The storm itself killed 64 people. 
but the longer-term impact on infrastructure led to thousands of deaths. And he says after two months, mortality had risen sharply for the poorest people, somewhat for those on middle incomes and least for the highest group. A huge external shock had thrust into sharp relief the underlying inequalities in society. That's what COVID has done to us. It's uncovered searing inequality. Because the sickness and death brought by COVID has not hit our nation equally. It has disproportionately hit some minority ethnic communities. It's hit disabled people. It's hit those who live in poorer areas hardest or in overcrowded housing. It's hit those whose jobs or finances meant they couldn't stay home in relative safety. But you know, the aftermath isn't going to be spread evenly either. Research shows that many families have been able to save money during lockdown because they haven't been spending on commuting or holidays or socialising or all the things they normally spend money on. At the same time, other people have lost jobs or working hours and fallen deep into debt. Do you know, in the first six weeks of the first lockdown, one and a half million people claimed universal credit. Even now, unemployment is still rising. More people turning to food banks. People are struggling. But like Hurricane Maria, the pandemic hit unevenly because of the pre-existing inequalities. So what should our response be to this? Well, first, I think the church needs to speak up and point to the injustices that have been revealed. To channel some of Micah's righteous anger, to demand we don't return to the old normal. To a normal where poor countries suffered the worst effects of climate damage, which they didn't even create. To a normal where a child under 15 dies every five seconds, mostly because they haven't got enough food, clean water or healthcare. Do we want to go back to the old normal in the UK? To a normal where a man living in Warfield Harvest in Berkshire can expect to live to the age of 90, and one living in Bloomfield in Blackpool can expect to die at 68? To a normal where over 2 million people are so poor they can't afford food, clothing, heating and shelter where food banks give 2,600 parcels to children every day. I know this sounds like politics, and I know saying this sort of thing calls people to, calls people to cry out that the church should stay out of politics, and I'm not immune to that pressure. If you're a regular at St Nick's, you probably know my day job is as a Labour politician in the House of Lords. Writing this sermon, I worried someone listening might think I was speaking from a soapbox and not from a pulpit. I even wondered, should I tone it down or go in a safer direction? But you know what? I then imagined Micah's laser being trained on me and what you'd have to say if I toned it down for fear of upsetting people. But if we're going to call out large-scale injustices, we also need to live with integrity as individuals and as a church. So what are we in next? What are we doing for those in our community who are struggling before the pandemic and could be in deeper trouble afterwards? As we emerge from the crisis, how are we going to put their needs ahead of our own? How will our priorities reflect the good news of Jesus Christ for the poor and the marginalised? And if Micah's laser beam lingered for a moment on our own lives, lighting up the choices we make about how we spend our money and our time, how we treat the planet, what would that reveal? And there's no doubt this is a challenging reading. I find it challenging. It's meant to be. Micah challenges us every bit as much as the people of his own day. 
But before I finish, can I just remind you of the deep hope at the heart of that challenge? Remember our question, what is God like? Well, we've heard one clear answer, a God of justice. Why? A God who cares about justice because he cares about us, about the greatest and the least. A God who loves each one of us, who knows you by name, who has counted every hair on your head. So if you've been hit hard by this pandemic in any way, know that God knows and sees and cares, even when you feel invisible. And know too there is hope in the deep promises of God, the vision of the prophets, and above all in Jesus, God with us, who came to save us. Jesus who came bringing good news for the poor, preaching the kingdom of God with its upside down values, where the first will be last and the last first where the wolf lies down with the lamb, where peace and justice will reign. God's kingdom will come, and we, God's people, are called to join in with God's work to reveal that kingdom breaking into this world. But remember, we love because we were loved first. Amidst the horrors of the judgment, we're a people loved, forgiven and saved, and called to live afresh in a world transformed by God's love. And that's good news. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.